Spirit Catholic Radio, KVSS. We are Catholic Radio for the Christian community. Good morning and a very heartfelt welcome to Spirit Mornings with Bruce McGregor and... Chris McGregor. And it's Monday, Chris. You know what that means. When you use the term like heartfelt, I think I know. That's right. And I do mean H-A-R-T-F-E-L-T. As in Mark Hart, the Bible geek, uh, executive vice president for Life Teen, an award-winning author, renowned speaker. Uh, Mark's books, podcasts, and video Bible study series T3 help literally hundreds of thousands of Catholics, young and old, dive more deeply into sacred scripture. And we're going to go deep here in this year of St. Paul. We're bringing Mark on now week after week as we're going to work our way through this uh, most important apostle. We want you, too, to be able to join even deeper with us when we do this study of St. Paul together as a community by picking up a copy of Sword of the Spirit, A Beginner's Guide to St. Paul, which just happened to be uh, authored by Mark Hart and co-authored with Christopher Cuddy, a fine man I met this summer. I just, you two, what a dynamic duo. Oh, he's, he's dynamic, Chris is. Chris is a true gift to the church and a true gift to the gospel, and he's just too smart for his own good. <laughs> he really is. He's yeah. funny. It gets in the way of all of us sometimes. Look at you yeah. rubbing elbows with, with all these with all these highfalutin theologians on your travels, Chris. Look at you. My elbow has rubbed uh, oh, against says, oh, yours I, as well. well <laughs> but I'm not a highfalutin theologian. I love how Chris just kind of says, oh, you know, I was over at you know, Scott Hans house for dinner. She just kind of drops that. You yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I try and rub elbows with someone, all I end up with is static discharge. So. Anyway, well, you yeah. so tall, Bruce. Yeah. yeah, your elbow goes in other people's ears. Kind of yeah. gave up on that. <laughs> Sword of the Spirit, the Beginner's Guide to St. Paul will run the plug meter to 10 here available through lifeteam.com www.lifeteam.com and on amazon that's right and on amazon <laughs> and all fine catholic bookstores as well we like to support those catholic uh, bookstores Absolutely. because they support those publishers so. and i just want to make a plug too i i, I make i just want everybody to know i make no money on this that all the proceeds in this go to uh life team we are a nonprofit, and this goes to our mission of leading teams closer to christ so it's a it's a double it's a double whammy for the kingdom you, you not only get to to grow in your knowledge of this amazing saint, and, and I've really have the scriptures of how to read his letters specifically, but, um, but you also, uh, you're also helping the mission of leading teenagers all over the world closer to Christ. So Absolutely, and uh, when you get to the pearly gates and say, who did you bring with you, I think there's going to be a line a million long behind Mark Hart. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. And Mark, let's talk, before we get into the individual books of St. Paul, the different letters, let's talk about St. Paul. What do we need to know about him? Well, he was short. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, actually, you know, a lot, a lot of people do. A lot of people do believe he was short. I okay. mean, it's usually depicted as as a short, uh, balding gentleman with a beard uh, and a crooked nose, and and that that just kind of comes from uh, reports and tradition. You know, where, where he kind of refers to himself. He says he's not. He basically he's kind of self-deprecating. He says, I'm not very good looking. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and some people over the years, scholars debate whether or not he was whether or not he was a great preacher. You have many scholars, myself included, who feel that he was so filled with the spirit that you know that people were just entranced when listening to him. Um, others, though, they they debate and they say you know, they'll use things like Acts twenty, you know, because he's it says in there he's preaching till midnight and a young man fell asleep during his homily. And, <laughs> that man goes 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 off to fall out of a windowsill and die, but that's a different story. Uh-oh. <laughs> but uh, some people, you know, feel he wasn't a great preacher, that kind of thing. And you know, people can debate on that kind of stuff. They get to judge something by its fruit. And when you when you've written half the New Testament and converted um, hundreds of thousands in the early world, I think that you could go ahead and you deserve the badge, great preacher. Yeah. Um, you know what's really interesting about St. Paul, and we, we talked about this briefly before, and, and I'm really excited about the next several weeks because if, if we start to take, I, I want to take one epistle at a time. 
Mm-hmm. One letter at a time, and just really trying to help people, you know, because I really believe that, in, like, when the church announces something like, hey, it's the year of St. Paul, I think there's a lot of people who would love to dive in, who would love to dive in on their own, not just wait for things at the parish, or, you know, uh, and honestly, um, that's sort of the spirit that you mentioned earlier, it's, it's, it's really, it's moving very well, I mean, it's, it's selling for a lot of parishes that bought copies in bulk, you know, for their for their teens, for their adults, for their liturgical ministers, you know, and, and we even, um, Chris and I even did discussion questions that are free for download. You can download them for, for, for free on our adult, our adult uh, Life Teen site, ym.lifeteen.com. You can, they're, they're for free download. You can do a book discussion, whatever you'd like to do. And I think a lot of people want to go deeper, but the reality, again, is if you don't have something like Sword of the Spirit, or, or there are several other books on St. Paul that are out right now because of this year, if you don't have something like that to really walk you through it, Mm-hmm. Or if you don't have, like, the Ignatius, you know, Catholic Bible study series that, like, Scott and Curtis Mitch did, things like that that really walk you through it, boy, it can be daunting. Yeah. It can be so daunting. In fact, in the, in the foreword um, uh, for this book, which Scott Hunt wrote, Dr. Scott Hunt wrote, he, he had a great line, and he said, you know, reading Paul can be like getting caught up hurricane. Mm-hmm. You know, and even Peter, in Second Peter, he even made it a point to say, uh, in, in his letter in Scripture, if you can go there and read it for yourself in Second Peter 3, he says, St. Paul can be really hard to understand sometimes. I mean, this is our first Pope saying this. Mm-hmm. Because, you see, Paul uses, he has such a, uh, a compression to his language. And, it, it, and he's such a concise writer. I mean, he's so efficient with his words that one or two words just pack a punch. And when you're, when you're taking into account the cultural differences, I mean, Paul was a very very intelligent man and a very learned man. I mean, he was a, I mean, he was a rabbi. He was a Pharisee. Okay, so he followed the letter of the law of Moses of the old covenant. I mean, with with a pristine, with a pristine heart. In fact, that the Pharisees, as many people probably already know, I mean, they were so exacting and so legalistic with the law. They actually excluded a lot of people. You know, a lot of Jews from. You know, like they had like an inner circle. They were they were excluding Jews, saying you're not following this stringently enough. And they actually they actually took the law of Moses and added all kinds of more legal restrictions to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, he followed the law with an exactitude, an unyielding exactitude, and he had an incredibly strong command of the Hebrew Scriptures, an incredibly strong command of the Old Covenant. But here's the thing: Saint Paul, even though he had heard of Jesus and he knew that he existed, that sort of thing, did not believe, and this is the, this is the really important thing we have to get out right off the bat, he did not believe, prior to his, con- his conversion that we read about on the way to Damascus, St. Paul did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He believed the Messiah was coming, and he believed, as a Pharisee, that if he lived in a certain way, if he lived rightly and legally, legalistically enough, that he could actually, he believed he could actually hasten the day of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So he believed if he, if he and his counterparts lived boldly enough, that they could actually hasten the day of the coming Messiah. And what ended up happening was, is that, I think, I think what ended up happening, like in our church, for instance, the subtitles, it says like the conversion of St. Paul in our Bible, right? Or the conversion of Saul. Like if you open up your New American Bible, mm-hmm. you open up to Acts chapter 9, you'll have a subheading that says the conversion of Saul. And over the years, there have been songs written and artwork done and stories told, and, and we always talk about the conversion of Saul, and it's this really romanticized thing, you know? And, and we, we, we always picture him on a horse, and he's on his way to Damascus, you mm-hmm. know, Saul. And right before this happens, we see him present at the stoning of, of Stephen, the first deacon. Mm-hmm. And Stephen calls the people out of their sin, and he's trying to say, don't you understand, you stiff-necked people. And they, start, they, they take him outside of the, the, of the city, and they start stoning him for blasphemy. And then it says they draped 
their their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. And it not only shows that he's there, but and it doesn't say that he well, it doesn't say that he picked up the stone and hit Stephen with it. The way that it's told in the Acts of the Apostles is that really he is responsible for murder. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether or not you know whether or not he actually threw a stone or not, he's still responsible. So you have this you have this man, and he's and he's not a, a horrible horrible person like he's usually pointed out to. He he really feels that what he's doing is correct. Mm-hmm. Because he feels like these Christians, these followers of this Jesus, these Jews have abandoned their religion to follow this blasphemer because he did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. So he really believes that what he's doing will be credited to him, as it says in Scripture, as an act of righteousness. He believes that he's going to be uplifted by, by the God of Israel because he's going after these blasphemers who are blaspheming you know, the, the, you know, the God of Israel. So what what ends up happening though is we read these subtitles and we say, oh, it's the conversion of Saul. He was a nasty, horrible sinner, a murderer, who becomes this awesome, amazing saint. But what we have to understand is that it wasn't a, a, technically a conversion, because the word conversion literally means turnaround. Like when you hear conversion, you should think of almost a U-turn sign on the street. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're going in one direction and you do a 180 degree turn in the other direction. And 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 literally speaking, Saul's was not a conversion because he was seeking the Messiah the whole time. Okay, mm-hmm. what happened to Saul on the way to Damascus? And it doesn't say he was on a horse; it just says he was knocked to the ground. He had traveling companions. You know, the horse was kind of added later. Kind of like the Garden of Eden doesn't really say it was an apple; it says it was fruit. But that's just a little minor Bible geeky thing for people that like that kind of stuff. It makes a great picture. It makes a great picture. Yeah, because he falls harder from the horse. I like to think of him riding on a donkey personally, mm-hmm. because the idea of him getting knocked off an ass and onto one at the same time is really kind of ironic to me. <laughs> but. <laughs> People are saying, "Oh, he can't say that on Catholic yet. Yes, he can because it's biblical. That's right. What, what I like about what I like about the idea, though, is that when people if they understand that he didn't do a U-turn because he was seeking the Messiah the whole time, but what happened was on the way that Jesus appears to him, he knocks him on his keister, and this light shines from heaven. This voice, and he says, "Why are you persecuting me, Saul?" And Saul's response is the important part. Okay? I mean, obviously, the more important part is what God says, but Saul's response is very key, and he says, who are you that I'm persecuting? And when, when Jesus reveals himself to Paul, this, he's revealing intimacy to him, an intimate knowledge of himself. Okay? Mm-hmm. When he reveals his name to Paul, and this is an intimate moment, you don't reveal your name unless it's an intimate moment. And what's interesting is that, that Jesus could have made Stephen the great missionary, because Stephen already had a heart for Jesus, and he had a passion, a passion so strong that he was martyred. He's the first martyr, you know, in the New Testament for mm-hmm. Christ, you know, in the Acts of the Apostles. He didn't choose Stephen. He chose Saul. He chose the one who was calling for his murder. And that should teach us a lot about Jesus right off the bat. Okay, that should teach us a lot about his mercy. And no matter how far you've sinned, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how much you've sinned, God's mercy is bigger mm-hmm. than you are. Mm-hmm. But, but what it should teach us something else, too, is that in this moment, see, Saul didn't do a turnaround because he was already seeking the Messiah. It's what Paul did instead of doing a 180 is that Paul popped the clutch. I mean, he, he charged forward even more furiously because all of a sudden the Messiah he'd been seeking for all of his life, he just came to find out was the guy that he was persecuting in the name of, like, he, he just came to find out that he had it all wrong. Mm-hmm. But, but you have to understand that the same drive that he had that was driving him to kill Christians because he was so fervently seeking the Messiah, is now the drive that's going to that's gonna make him walk thousands upon thousands of miles, and, and over dozens of years is going to put him on ships and leave him shipwrecked, it's going to leave him imprisoned, it's ultimately going to lead him to beheading. That same drive, and that same love, that same yearning he had for the Messiah, he still has, but now it's being completely rechanneled and redirected to Christ. 
Mm-hmm. And this is what's so important to understand is that it wasn't so much that he went from being an awful guy to a great guy. It went that his weapon changed. Right. He was using a weapon of 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 hatred and self-righteousness and self-indignation, and he was using a literal sword. And it says he's going into people's homes and he's having women dragged out by their hair and kicking open doors, grabbing people that were part of this thing called the Way, which was what they called Christianity, and he was condemning them to death. And he was going and asking permission to go do this from the Jewish leaders. But after this experience of Christ, which leaves him blind, by the way, and totally, you know, dependent, totally humbled, now... In those three days of blindness, it's my contention, and I wrote about this in Buster of the Board, and again, it's sort of the spirit a little bit. My contention is that the three days that he was blind were actually the three days of Saul's life that he saw most clearly. Mm. Because he was forced to look to his past and see the faces of all that he had, that he had uh, failed to love, and he had to see the face of Christ in them. And he had to look at his present, and he had to look at himself, and he had to forgive himself and reconcile Christ in himself. And he had to love himself which must have been very difficult yeah. because of that self-righteousness and the self-indignation. Then he had to look to the future and say, I'm going to need to go become Christ to the people that I was persecuting. <laughs> and if that doesn't fill you with fear, you think, I have to go back to these villages where they fear me. And I have to go look to the people that I was seeking to persecute and say, I love you and I'm with you. And I have to go back to people who were helping me persecute, you know, who might want to stone me now and say, this is what happened. And those three days must have been really difficult for him. And then God loved him so much that he sent someone to heal him. And now Paul had true vision. And he see, he had the heart for the Messiah, but what Paul didn't have was he didn't have all the content. He didn't have the whole story. Mm-hmm. And he had to then go seek out the apostles. You know, he had to go seek out Peter and the other apostles. And what's so beautiful and amazing a story about Paul is that as you, as you read his epistles, and we'll get into this in the coming weeks, as you read his epistles in order, he starts in his, in his ministry by saying, I'm just as good as the other apostles. I've, in fact, I've done more than they are. I'm a super apostle. It doesn't matter if I wasn't in the upper room. I, yeah. you know, Christ picked me. Mm-hmm. And by the end of his ministry, he talks about how little he is, how small he is, how nothing he is, and how it's all about Christ in him. And what you have in Paul is not just this conversion that's a one-moment thing on the way to Damascus. And I think this is the most important thing we can learn from Paul. Because sometimes we all are waiting for that Hollywood Vegas moment of conversion, you know, mm-hmm. this horrible sinner, you know, that struggled with all these addictions and, you know, infidelity and all those things to this amazing saint. And then we get down on ourselves if we don't change overnight, and we're not just filled with virtue overnight, and we're not a living saint overnight, and that's not the way conversion works, is that conversion is a process, an ongoing process. I am still going through conversion, as I'm sure you, Bruce and Chris, I'm sure you would still say you're still going through conversion. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. You know? Yep, you bet putting to death in our bodies every day our selfishness and, and, and seeking God's grace so that virtue can come. And that's why Paul talks about grace. I mean, before the New Testament, grace is only mentioned a handful of times in the Old Testament. It's the New Testament that's mentioned hundreds of times. You know, this concept of grace, this concept of God's life, not as an exterior, outward thing, but this interior breathing of God's life through the Spirit inside of you that enables you to change for good that enables you to change for the good, that enables you to change forever, and that allows you to overcome and to conquer your humanity so that God's divinity would live in you. And it's so beautiful, because as, we're, as people are going to hear in the coming weeks as we break open his letters, and sometimes we think that St. Paul's letters are just like the Gospels. St. Paul is not concerned about telling you stories about Jesus' life. Mm-hmm. 
and even though his his letters predate the Gospels, his letters came out before the Gospels were written right. and given. So the earliest New Testament writings were from the was from the pen of Saint Paul. But what was happening was the Gospel stories were being given orally, the oral tradition of the Church, and they were being passed on orally and through testimony. He did not feel the need to write down the Gospel narrative. He didn't feel the need to write down the Gospel stories. He was aware of Saint Mark. Okay, who was a, who was pretty much a, a traveling companion and a scribe of Saint Peter. He was very aware of Saint Peter. He prayed with Saint Peter. He debated and argued with Saint Peter, but he also submitted to Saint Peter's authority. And he's the one who constantly, constantly called Saint Peter to live up to his own infallible teaching and his own authority. He is the one who would not let the church retreat into Jewish into the Jewish history and the Jewish culture, but forge forward into the Gentile culture, into a truly universal Catholicos, Catholic means universal, into a truly Catholic church. It was St. Paul that was pushing us forward. St. Paul who was behind Peter, you know, praying for him, bowing you know before him out of humility and pushing him forward to fulfill to totally fulfill the role that Christ has set apart for him as the pontiff, as the bridge. And it's St. Paul, then, who doesn't say, I don't need to give everybody the gospel narrative. I mean, he was a traveling companion with St. Luke, Mm -hmm. who gave us Luke and Acts, you know? Mm -hmm. He says, I don't need to tell you the story. What I'm going to tell you is the implication of that story in your everyday life. I'm going to teach you how to live like Christ. Yep, how to put it into play. Yeah, and what's so beautiful is that the minute, like, the first St. Paul had to reconcile the, 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 the reality of Christ in himself, which, which must have been very difficult, yeah. but then he had to reconcile and he had to live out, and this is what we get in his letters, how to live out each day seeing Christ in the other. How to become Christ to the other, and how to see Christ in the other. And St. Paul, it's that theology that St. Paul gives us, how to live out this gospel message every day inside of yourself, and to live it out in the people in front of you who do know of Christ, and especially those who do not. Those who claim to know Him, and those who really know Him, and those who have the desire to know Him. How do I interact with these groups of people so as to become like Christ to them? And that is this, this pearl of great price. That is this nugget of wisdom that shaped the early Church, that, that, that breathed life into the early Church, and that 2,000 years later still breathes life into our Catholic Church. And how beautiful it is that Benedict the Sixteenth has picked Saint Paul for uh, for this year for us to study and uh, to immerse ourselves. I can't even imagine. Uh, I'm so I'm still so joyful. I get giddy. I'm still so excited about this year. Well, we're not even halfway through it. And the thing about Paul that is so extraordinary is that you really needed to have Saul, Saul the proud, self righteous, murderer, and that conversion to that humble, self sacrificing martyr. It is such a paradox that it could only have happened through that life of this man who could give us epistles, who could help us to live out a Christ-like life. If he can do it, there's no excuse for us. Oh, absolutely. Anytime you hear someone say, well, I can't walk into church because I'm just such a sinner and that place would fall down, you know, you have to kind of shock it, just smile and go, yeah, uh, unless unless you've been the person um, going out, pulling people in the streets and killing them in the name of Jesus, uh, you have nothing on Paul. And then someone says, well, I am that person. You know, I've I've done it. They say, well, you still got nothing on Paul, because he was was doing it so methodically and so intentionally. But you know what's so beautiful? I mentioned this earlier. This is really where the title of the book came from. In Ephesians, he calls uh, the the spirit obviously calls, uh, but but through through Paul's pen, 
he calls the whole he calls the scriptures the sword of the spirit. The sword of the Holy Spirit is sacred scripture. Okay. Mm-hmm. And my my contention, Chris's contention, and kind of the idea we throw forward in the introduction of the book is, is that yes, Scripture is the sword of the Holy Spirit. That the better we know Scripture, the uh, the the better uh, a defender of truth. You know, never never an offender, but a better defender of truth we are for the Church, uh, for God. You know that that the Scriptures should be used in defense. You know, and that and that the Scriptures are your sword. That that they are that that is how you defend. You know, that is how you uphold the truth. But that also, not only are the scriptures the sort of truth, the sort of the spirit, but that Saint Paul himself was like a sword in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That Saint Paul himself became a great weapon, you know, of grace and a great weapon of mercy in the early church in a time that the gospel needed that, you know, because of the persecutions and a great and a great weapon, a great witness. I mean, so much so, it's so ironic that he would call that literally he went from you know his weapon was a sword, and then his weapon was to lay down a sword. You know, but he didn't just do it in in words. You know, he really had to live it out. You know, to a point where you can go to Second Corinthians eleven and read what he went through. I mean, with the shipwrecks and the beatings and the floggings and the stonings and the fast and the hungry. You know, just the hunger and the famine. And I mean, and like I mean, literally, like escaping within an inch of his life. And I mean, being imprisoned. And, and I mean, here's a man. They throw him in prison. They say, "Stop proclaiming the word of Christ." And they throw him in prison, and he start writing. I mean, it's yeah. like, you know, like, as if he's looking at the prison guard saying, can you bring me some more papyrus, you know, because I'm not nearly done yet, you know. I mean, it's just he's so fearless and so convicted with the truth of Christ that he proclaimed it with every breath. And what's great when you read St. Paul is he's still completely human. Yeah. You see a man who's completely struggling with his own sin, completely struggling with his lack of perfection, his lack of virtue, how hard he's straining to have virtue, you know, like trying to point to those elements of himself, you know, to the communities he's writing to. He's writing back, he's already visited most of them, to say, hey, you know what, like, live like me, like, in this way. But he's never claiming to be perfect. Mm-hmm. He's saying, live like I'm trying to live. Like, he tries to find these areas where he's doing well, and he says, live like me in this way, you know, like, I'm trying to become what I'm asking you to become, but I'm on this journey with you. It's really, he's an, he's an amazing, amazing saint, an amazing character in Scripture. But, he, but, it, it, but it, it's always so important to remember he's not just a character. This is a real man who truly suffered and who truly lived and who truly loved. You know, and that this is, this is a man that every man should, should want to be like. And this is a man that every woman should want to be with. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that kind. He's 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 an everyman's man. You know, like there is an, an element about him in his ferocity, in his emotionalism, in his in his pragmatism, in his lucidity that we should not just seek to, to and to explore and to find out more about. And we as Catholics, when we hear Peter and Paul. You know, we we know about Peter. You know, many of us we've heard about Peter. We know his history, but how many of us really know about Paul? And it was on these two these two cornerstones that that Rome was built. And they, they consecrated Rome with their blood. You know, I mean, Peter crucified upside down, Paul beheaded, but, but both of them. And they are two sides of the same coin, two drastically different approaches to the same gospel truth. And in Paul, many of us, I would be willing to bet, we'll, we'll, might even connect more to Paul than Peter the more we find out about him. Yeah. Well, in the coming weeks, we are going to do that because we have Mark Hart, the Bible geek, here to help us through with this 
tour de force, I think. Uh, I Saint can't Paul. wait. Yeah, I, I think this is a tremendous gift. And this is, for many of you, this will just be the beginning of your study. We really want to encourage you to pick up a copy of Sword of the Spirit by Mark Hart and Christopher Cuddy because it is just a wonderful tool. But also pick up your Bible and follow and read these letters. And as you know, as they come up, prepare yourself to hear what Mark will help us to understand. I mean, this is tremendous. And the first epistle will be... Romans. All right. Romans, all right. The first one after Acts. And Romans is the hardest, you know, so, we, hey, you know what, we're going to come out of the gate and we're going to go after this. And if, and, if, and if people can bear with me for just a few minutes, you know, it, there's a few things you need to understand in Romans. And if you get just these, these basics, you get these little crags in the, in the face of the rock... You're going to be able to climb this rock. You know, you're going to be able to get a foothold. You're going to feel secure, and you'll be able to work your way through. Romans, in my opinion, I mean, that's in the Gospels, is the greatest literary masterpiece in Scripture and one of the greatest literary masterpieces ever written. It's so deep, yet so beautiful, and in its original form, it's so poetic. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely astounding. But all that being said, like Dr. Hahn said in our forward, there's an amazing compression of language, and like St. Peter said, you know, he can be difficult to understand if you don't know some background and a few basics, and that's what we're going to try and do. Each week we're going to try and give some background and some basics, and we're going to come right out of the gate with St. Paul's masterpiece, The Letter to the Romans. All right. Can't wait. Mark, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. Thanks, brother, and uh, we look forward to next week. I'm giddy already. God bless you all. <laughs>